Hello and welcome everybody to episode four of Radio Elevate. So glad you could join us today. We got an awesome day set up for you. We've got a brand new series we're starting entitled Rev. And we're going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Got two awesome, awesome surprises coming your way today. But we're going to do like we do every week. And we're going to start out with some worship. And this week we're starting out with Matt Marr and Love Will Keep Us Together. It don't have a job Don't pay your bills Won't buy you a home In Beverly Hills What an awesome song that is. Up next, we've got Elevation Worship and Do It Again.
You know, last week was Easter, and I was sitting at the house thumbing through Facebook like you do towards the end of the day, and I came across a video of one of our very own students, Emily Reeves, and I had to send her a message and see if she would do us a solid. And this week, we've got a very special surprise for you because we've got Emily Reeves and Waymaker. was that to have one of our very own Elevate students to lead us in some worship on this edition of Radio Elevate. Hey, stick around because up next, we're starting a brand new series in the first lesson called Poor and Sad Ain't So Bad. We'll see you right after the break. Hey, Radio Elevate, this is Matt, worship pastor here at Crosspoint Church. Man, what a great opportunity it is to spend time with you here on Radio Elevate. What a great platform and opportunity that you have to share with your friends and your family the good news of the gospel brought to you by Elevate Student Ministries. Cody and the team have done a fantastic job leading you in this ministry. We're excited about what they're going to be able to do through Radio Elevate. I hope you enjoy it. I know I'm looking forward to it. Join with me as we listen together this new lesson on Radio Elevate. So what is the Sermon on the Mount? 
You know, the short answer is it's the greatest sermon ever taught by the greatest teacher that ever, ever lived. It's found in the Bible in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and I'm going to encourage everybody that during this study that you take a read or at least listen to the Sermon on the Mount at least once a week while we do this study. You'll see so many things interconnect and intertwine with each other that Jesus is teaching us throughout this sermon. Now, to truly understand the atmosphere of this sermon, we need to go back just one chapter into Matthew chapter 4 and its last couple of verses. And starting at verse 23, it says, Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns of Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. So, you see, the crowds really followed Jesus into Galilee to follow his teaching. Now, we look at Jesus as his time on earth as so many different things. One of those things is that he was a teacher and a minister himself. The thing about his, the thing about his teaching is that he could also heal. And that's something that us out here today, we just can't do. He is the perfect combination of teaching and healing that he could present Jesus as almost of a type of celebrity. His teaching gained popularity and notoriety wherever he went. You know, to quote Ricky Bobby, People knew him. He was kind of a big deal. If you look at Jesus in the sense of being famous, and I use that term a little lightly because I don't want the term fame and celebrity to cast a star-studded life for Jesus, but you have to look at the Sermon of the Mount as one of his greatest productions. Now, we can't doubt that the biggest display Jesus did in his own life was the cross, but his entire life, his teachings, his healings, and ultimately his death is really one major production that fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. The event had an audience, and I think it's important to look at who the audience for this Sermon on the Mount actually is. First, He's teaching to his disciples. These are the people that are all in. They're 100% behind Jesus. These guys are not just learners, but they're practicers of what Jesus is teaching. Uh, they're Jesus' support while he's here on earth. The disciples are almost like Jesus' entourage that goes with him where he goes. An entourage all has the same goal as their leader, and these disciples are no different. He's also teaching to his followers. Now, his followers are kind of like his fans. They believe in Jesus. They believe in his teaching. They believe and they largely have seen the miracles that Jesus has been performing. They're also people that are seeking his guidance. They want him to educate them on how to live and what is good and what is not. And maybe their following is a little bit selfish in nature because they're seeking a miracle in their own life. And lastly, he's teaching to the bystanders. And these are the people that may or may not believe. They're the, kind of on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Maybe they believe, maybe they don't. 
but at the very least, they are curious. The living word is out there teaching. What's it going to hurt for them to take a listen? If you really think about it, these types of people that we just described are the three types of people that are feeling churches and revivals in any type of spiritual meeting today every single week. You have the church leaders and the staff and the support. These are the folks that are kind of like the disciples. They're all in. You have the audience, or in this case, as far as today goes, they're basically the congregation. They support Jesus. They believe and they seek Jesus. And you have the bystanders. These are the people that are curious. Some believe, some don't. So just want to hear because they don't know what they believe and what they don't. This entire scene of the Sermon on the Mount looks an awful lot like a pop-up revival would today. This just goes to show that the church today is not that much different than it was some 2,000 years ago. It's all centered around Christ and worshiping Him. Just back then, they were hearing the teaching right from God Himself directly through His Son, Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount starts with what's referred to as a beatitude. The definition for the word beatitude means blessing or extreme happiness. You know, it makes a lot of sense that Jesus would start his greatest sermon by explaining what happiness actually is and how to achieve extreme happiness. I can imagine that it's almost like a hook with him starting out by saying, do you want to be happy? You know, that's a loaded question. Uh, that works as a, hook, as a hook because the sadness and mourning that anyone was experiencing would come rushing directly to their thoughts at that point. By starting off a sermon like that, Jesus would have their attention directly, and he starts his greatest sermon on how to be happy, and the teaching started like this. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, we always attribute poverty with money. We think of slums and worn-out buildings, and we think of raggedy clothes and maybe not having the financial means to create a better life for ourselves. But let's dive a little deeper into what poverty actually is by looking at two different types of poverty. First, there's the type of poverty that I just described, and that's probably what came to mind when you first heard the word poor in Matthew 5.3. We want to live comfortably in life, and there's nothing wrong with that, but when we live too comfortably, if we're not careful, that comfortableness turns into greed. Let's look at a couple verses to kind of illustrate that point just a little bit further. Matthew 19 of chapter 24 says, I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a very commonly used and understood Bible verse. Chris Jansen even included this line in his song, Buy Me a Boat. But do you ever really think a little deeper than the surface on what this piece of scripture actually says? Does that mean that a rich person cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Well, not exactly, but it is suggesting that it's going to be incredibly difficult. But why? 
When your heart is filled with materialistic things, then there's not enough room in your heart for God. Let's even look at the country song we just mentioned a moment ago. Money can buy me a boat, it can buy me a truck, and it can buy me a Yeti cooler. All of these things take money, time, and maintenance. That's just more time and effort into a material thing that takes away time from God. Now, owning a boat is not a sin. Owning a truck is not a sin. But worshiping these items and letting them take a higher place in your heart than God, that is a sin. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I don't want to foreshadow too much here, as this will be in a lesson in this series just a little down the road, but think about what that's saying. If we look at wealth and poverty as gaining money and material things, then it does not matter how much worldly things we have, we're still going to be poor. We can't worship both wealth and God. They do not go hand in hand, at least not in a worldly fashion. To be poor in material and earthly things forces you to put your faith in Jesus. When there's not another alternative, you have to pick the option that's in front of you. When your life is not distracted by these things, then you'll be 100% devoted to God, plain and simple. God knew that with a sinner's heart that we could not achieve this on our own. However, that doesn't stop him from teaching it, and it should not prevent us from trying to practice it. So, being poor is not about lacking things. Then, what is being poor about? Well, let's talk about what spiritual poverty is. Spiritual poverty is when you lack trust, faith, and love in your heart for Jesus. A couple of verses to look into here. Psalm uh, chapter 40 verses 16 through 17 says, But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, the Lord keeps me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Now, having materialistic things can make you long for Jesus. That makes you spiritually wealthy. Now, there's plenty of room in your heart for God. God is referred to in this psalm as great, helper, and savior. All of these are an option to believe when there's no alternative. Look at the name. It's Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Yireh. Both of these translated to God will provide. Both of these, in different languages, put all faith in things needed to survive in God, leaving plenty of room for love and worship to God. Material poverty makes the road to spiritual wealth so much easier because there are not other things in your way to prevent you from having faith that God will provide in His greatness with help and as your Savior. Psalm 69, verses 32 and 33 says, The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. Materialistic things prevent you from not just being able to see God, 
but also being able to see God work in your life and the life of others. Being poor financially does not make you lesser than in the eyes of God. In a worldly way of thinking, we put so much status and high regard in the opinion of those with worldly wealth. Maybe somewhat unintentionally, but we still do that by lessening the value of their opinion of the poor. We don't believe their opinion, their life, and their feelings are as important. The simple fact is that that is just not true. God loves the poor just as much as he longs to love the wealthy. God's love is extended to those that can only fill is not just extended to those that can only fill offering plates with a lot of money. God's love is extended to the ones that can barely scrape two pennies together. God went to the poor, went to the cross for the poor just as he did for the non-poor. There's hope with this. First, that means that times of poverty are going to be temporary. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to promise you wealth this side of heaven. However, when we cross over, those that are spiritually rich have nothing to fear. Wealth and material things will all be temporary. God hears your cries and your financial struggles. The act of putting times in the tough times in God's hands, however, show two things. One is that your faith is in God anyway, so you are spiritually wealthy. And two, be comforted because God hears your struggles and sorrows and sympathizes with them. I know that this is a student ministry, but I also hope that others find words through the radio elevate that speak to them. So let me make this point to our students that listen to this that are in high school and possibly starting to look at college or the next phase of their life. Don't seek after wealth and richness for the next phase of your life, but listen to God and go where he's calling you to be. Failure to listen to God will only lead you down a road of mourning, which is a segue into verse 4, which we're going to take a look at right after this bit. Hey Radio Elevate, this is Matt, worship pastor here at Cross Point Church. I hope you're enjoying this lesson. I want to give you an opportunity to give to Radio Elevate, a ministry Elevate Student Ministries of Cross Point Church. You can text the word GIVE to 423-467-5311. That's 423-467-5311. And you can become a partner with Radio Elevate. Enjoy this lesson. Verse 4 starts, says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. You know, there are a lot of reasons to mourn in this life. You have death, you have loss, you have poverty, you have disappointment, and the list can go on and on and on as to what can make us sad. And as a matter of fact, mourning is a natural human emotion. John chapter 11, verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible with just two words that says, Jesus wept. 
the human incarnation of God actually walking this earth felt the same emotion of mourning that we do. That's amazing to me. Now, Jesus wept because of a lack of faith in God and what God could do. And we should weep for the same thing because as humans, we lack that same amount of faith that Jesus wept about while he was at the tomb of Lazarus. To further look at mourning, I want to look and compare a couple different Bible verses. The first one is Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, and it says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, he is eager to relent and not punish. In the second verse that I kind of want to compare in this is going to be from James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and it says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So these verses can really teach us a few big things here. First, do not turn your mourning away from God and bear that mourning all by yourself. God longs to be your rock and to be your strength. Having times of being sad is okay. It's an emotion that we're going to feel. As a matter of fact, he's telling us here that it's okay to be sad to the point of tearing our hearts. Now think about the poetry that those words, tearing your heart, conveys. It means that it's perfectly okay to weep to the point of putting any and all faith in God by returning to him through our heartbreak. Unfortunately, heartbreak and mourning often lead to turning away from God rather than turning to God. And we've studied this before, but it's important to hit over this again that the devil's going to strike us when we are at our weakest. And oftentimes, we're at our weakest when we are heartbroken. The verse from Joel teaches us several things about heartbreak here. First, we can return to God during a heartbreak. We can also know that God's going to show us both mercy and compassion by laying our sadness and our mourning on him. When heartbreak happens, we need to be slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. And this part to me is what's so difficult. The next emotion that we feel after heartbreak is not typically one of love. It's typically one of anger. But God teaches us that after heartbreak, we should love. If you stop and think about it, that's pretty powerful stuff. And possibly the biggest thing that we can take away from these verses is that God is eager to relent and not punish. That means that God's eager to forgive, and he will do that without any consequences. That's pretty awesome when you stop and think about it. Here's the thing about mourning, though. In this world, we mourn for the wrong things. When we mourn, we need to allow ourselves to be humbled before God. We spoke a little earlier about how Jesus wept because of a lack of faith in God at Lazarus' tomb. 
He did not weep because Lazarus was dead. He did not weep because he was in a situation with Lazarus's sisters and family and being sad was sort of a way to fit in. He wept because people had lost faith in God and his abilities. They had forgotten who God was and just exactly what God could do. So when we mourn, remember to mourn for the right things. Mourn for sin. Sin should make us both sad and angry. Sin should not be celebrated. Mourn for your own sin as well as the sin of others. Mourn for the world. Mourn for the sinners that are unknowingly sinners. Mourn for a world that does not know Jesus and turn all of that mourning directly to God and don't bear that mourning alone. If there is one major takeaway that I hope stays with you about understanding mourning, I hope it is this. The greatest mourning the world ever faced turned into the greatest victory the world could ever experience when God defeated death, hell, and the grave when he went to the cross. A lack of spiritual wealth and mourning do kind of go hand in hand. When you lack worldly resources in this life, that can potentially make you sad. The sadness can lead you directly to God. And more importantly, though, know this. Too much stuff can fill your heart with a worldly desire that ultimately leads towards mourning as well. Think about it. We mourn over worldly things. We mourn when our car breaks down or when our phone cream scracks. If we're poor in a material sense, that causes us to mourn for a more spiritual type of deficiency instead of material deficiencies. That means that we mourn over the right things like sin and a lack of godly knowledge. So to kind of wrap everything up here, and this will be something that I do with all these beatitudes every week, and I recommend that you do the same thing from your own heart, is we're going to rewrite the beatitude. For the ones today, mine would go something like this. Bless those that need God and are struggling because God will come through and provide for them. Bless those that are sad and disappointed because they are still waiting to see how great God actually is. Bless their time of poverty and bless their time of mourning in a manner that brings them closer to you. Remember, poverty and wealth is not gained through money or anything of this world. They're measured by spirituality and how much of your heart is occupied with God. God understands your struggles, your pains, and your sorrows. So cast all those cares onto God. God wore your sorrows for you on the cross, and he can bear those sorrows for you today. So give those to him so that there is ultimately more room in your heart that is absent of pain and sadness, but is full of God, his love, and eternal life. We're going to be right back after this break with another very special guest as Bree from the Elevate team is going to join us as we discuss how being poor and sad ain't so bad. We'll be right back after this. Hey Radio Elevate, this is Matt, worship pastor here at Cross Point Church. I hope you're enjoying this lesson. 
I want to give you an opportunity to give to Radio Elevate, the ministry of Elevate Student Ministries of Cross Point Church. You can text the word GIVE to 423-467-5311. That's 423-467-5311. And you can become a partner with Radio Elevate. Enjoy this lesson. And welcome back to Radio Elevate. I am joined here today by a number one, another member of the Elevate team. She is not as famous as, but is definitely more liked than Carol Baskins. I am joined this week by Bree from the Elevate team. Bree, how you doing today? I am doing wonderful. How are you lovely listeners out there? Man, it's awesome to be having another member of my team each and every week here to kind of talk about and just conversate about the lesson that we're having this week. And Bree, I, I guess I just sort of want to start out by asking you, you know, have you ever thought of God as a celebrity? You know, I, during this lesson, you know, took a second and thought about that. And I think that in my earlier years as a Christian, it was very easy for me to look at Christ or God as that celebrity figure because you think of a celebrity as someone that maybe you aspire to be or somebody that you hope to meet and look up to. And so I think it was very easy for me to see him as a celebrity, but later on in my walk with Christ, you know, it it became more of a relationship. So it wasn't that Christ was so untouchable like a celebrity. It was, you know, I can talk to him. And although he may not visually be there, he is always there for me, unlike a celebrity who, you know, that's a pipe dream, I think. You know, we, we kind of talked about the audience that God was speaking to during his Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about you know, sort of the disciples being like his entourage and the audience kind of being like a congregation and the bystanders being maybe somebody that's more skeptical and maybe they're a believer or maybe they're not. Which three categories do you think you put yourself in? You know, I think for a long time that I was a congregation member and that was okay with me because it was when I was really getting my footing into this, you know, just really diving deep. And then as I've gotten older and now, I like to think that I am working more as a disciple. And there are days where I still feel like I am part of that congregation. And I don't look at that as a bad thing because I think, you know, as Christians, we have to have that learning period. And I think, you know, as a part of the congregation, you can take all of that in and listen. And that then it allows you to kind of become that disciple that I hope all of us want to become. So do you think that the skepticism about Jesus and looking at him sort of in that celebrity light back then, do you think that uh, that was, you know, combated by skepticism during his time? Do you think people were skeptical about Jesus? Yes, I definitely feel that people were skeptical of Jesus. I think just like in today's time, we see that people are still skeptical because it's something that um, a lot of people need to see things to believe. And so this Christianity has never 
necessarily been a you can see it, but I think back then it was just hard for them to believe that somebody would come. You know, I think they had seen hard times, and so to really see this man who they had heard about for years to actually come, I think they still just had that skepticism of, well, but what if it's not? What if he's just, you know, something else? You know, to kind of put it into modern-day terms and we look at the what ifs, what if Jesus didn't live some 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. and Jesus was alive today and the cross and everything had not have happened yet okay. and we were where we were as a society and all of a sudden on Instagram and Facebook and television you saw this guy that was claiming to be the chosen one, it would probably be hard to believe and you'd think that maybe they were doing this for the celebrity aspect. So I can see how back then there would be so many skeptics that weren't believers, especially if they hadn't seen the miracles that Jesus had been performing yet. Yeah, because I think that's that's even a question that us as Christians would have to ask ourselves. Like, if that happened, Yeah, is it in our heart or not? Yeah. Yeah, so let, let's move on just a little bit on the lesson. And I want to go ahead and I want to touch on some stuff about Matthew 5, 3. And that was the beatitude that said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When is a time in your life, Bree, that you have felt like you've been poor in spirit? Um, I think there was definitely a time coming out of college. So I like a lot of people sadly found that in college I strayed. Um, I had went to church my entire life back home and when I moved out to Johnson City I kind of you know was scared to find a new home church and I couldn't find anything that felt like home and so I felt that you know I was spiritually weak during college and that's something that now that I can look back on and although I'm not happy I think it did Help me in the long run, but out of college, you know, you're looking for a job and you're looking for a place to live and things were just very rocky. Things were rocky with my, you know, my father's health and then not really getting any job prospects. There was just a lot that was thrown at me at that time and I I didn't know where to turn, but I did, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm glad to say that I eventually come out of that and realized what I really needed, but it's now that I look back that I say to myself, wow, like that, that was a time in your life where he was there, you know, and I, I see that and I tell people now, like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be because I know that God led me there, but I saw how spiritually poor I was, but he didn't leave me. So with the, you know, this is obviously a, a student ministry and, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that people that aren't students can get something out of Radio Elevate too, but in large, this is meant for, you know, students of middle and high school age. And you talked about coming out of college, and we've got a lot of students that are getting ready to go into college. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them to make sure that they keep God with them even through those tougher times during college? Because there's a lot of stuff in college that's not necessarily the best for your relationship with God. Oh, yeah. And I think it is just, you know, going in, You've, you've got to find a spot. I think I didn't focus so much on looking into those student ministry, you know, options that were there because looking back, there are so many and so many that do such good things that I'm like, wow, I would have loved to be a part of that. 
So I think really just going in firm and knowing this is something that I'm going to make a priority and, you know, breaking out of your comfort zones, you know, stay in contact with the people from your old church because you never know how they can still help you because they are still there for you. So for all of you out there, know that Elevate will always be here for you. But, you know, when you get to college, go ahead and have that set on your mind. You know, you have your classes and you have, you know, whatever personal life, but know going into it that that's something you want to make an effort to keep on the forefront. So uh, we talk about college just a little bit more, and that kind of leads us into our next question. Do you think that the world puts more emphasis on being successful financially or spiritually? Well, you know, one thing I thought about was when you sat down at a family dinner, do they ever ask you, well, where's your life at spiritually? You know, and sadly, you know, although that might be an odd topic, it's never, you know, where are you at spiritually? Where are you going to church? You know, it is. How's work? Do you have a job? You know, how's everything going? And so, yes, I definitely think that sadly we live in a very material world who puts that financial success way above our spiritual because I think it is, although finances is a, um, you know, a sore topic to some people, it's more comfortable than your spirituality. So what worldly things in this life do you think tempt you to, to be spiritually poor? So I think of, you know, clothes. I'm, I'm a female, so that's one of the things that, you know, takes my mind away from maybe giving money where it needs to go or, you know, fun things like Disney. You know, I could easily go and spend a week at Disney and blow all this money when I could be giving, you know, more to the church or even time that that's taking away, you know, and that's, it's not a bad thing to take, you know, time to yourself, but I think it is knowing where that line is and being able to walk away and say, you know, I've had my time, but now I need to, you know, spend more, give my resources to the church, whether that be my presence or, you know, a financial um, help. So I, I want to move on and talk about Matthew 5, 4 with you for just a minute. And that verse says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, with that question, I, I have to ask you, have you ever thought about mourning being an act of worship? You know, not really until really diving into this lesson. Um, you know, I think of mourning being more just saying... You know, and it's bad, but it's kind of being like, why aren't things going the way I want them? And so, you know, to be able to think about it and turn mourning in a way that is pleasing to God was a very interesting concept to me. Yeah, it was me too. And, you know, everybody that knows me knows that I, I try to be sort of a macho guy here and there. And there's not a lot of feminine stuff <laughs> about me. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, I always thought of mourning as being you know, something a little weaker. And yeah. then I realized that when you get to the verse that says Jesus wept mm -hmm. and you think about literally the strongest man that ever walked the face of this earth wept was so powerful to me. So how does it make you feel that Jesus himself wept? Well, I think it makes me feel like that's a very normal human emotion and, you know, act to do. Um, you know, it's 
it's funny how two words can make even me feel something, you know, like to know that he took all of this on himself and he sat down and wept over, you know, everything that was going on. How powerful to know, like, because I know when I am mourning and I'm upset about something, I really, that is a deep emotion for me. You know, I, I cry a lot. We know this, but to really get to that place of, of mourning for something, that's a very deep personal place. And it it didn't say Jesus cried and it didn't say Jesus was sad or Jesus Mm -hmm. was having a bad day. It said wept, which really, you know, lends it to believe that it was all out sadness, all out crying, not just a, a, a temporary thing. I mean, that's a pretty powerful word. Well, wept. It, it breaks my heart. You know, like you always hear, break my heart for what breaks yours. And so I think that like just saying and and thinking about that act just is a, it breaks me, you know, as a person. So does turning your mourning towards God, has that ever made you feel needy? Yes, but I definitely think it's because there was a time in my life where maybe I wasn't using prayer in the right way, you know, and so I can remember a lesson that Greg had talked about, about how to pray, and so, you know, I think it's turning your prayers into what they're supposed to be, and and you're praying not to say, well, I need this, and I need this, because I think as a young Christian, it's very easy to just be like, well, if I ask God for these things, then surely something good is going to happen, so yes, but once, you know, I kind of came out of that and learned more about how to pray, then I kind of got away from feeling almost bad about what I was praying for. So, you know, and that really is is a great segue into our next question, but do you think that we mourn over the right things in our life? Um, I do not think that we mourn over the right things. I think we mourn over things like, you know, we, you know, totaled our vehicle. We didn't get the new iPhone. You know, I think we mourn over these worldly things because we don't really think of the deeper rooted. You know, I want to mourn because I lacked trust in you or that I, you know, just I I fell away from you or I'm struggling to find a relationship with you and and place my trust in you. I want to mourn over those things instead of saying, well, well, God, you didn't come through with me and give me that job, so I'm pretty upset about that. Maybe I need to mourn because as a Christian, my faith is weak, you know? Yeah, and and I think that goes back to to the verse Jesus wept Mm -hmm. just a few moments ago. You know, Jesus was not weeping at that time because Lazarus was dead. Jesus Mm -hmm. wasn't weeping because he was at basically a funeral or or maybe even like a graveside service Mm -hmm. for today. He wept because the people around him had lost faith in God and really forgot who he was. Mm -hmm. So when we mourn over the right things, it really can turn our sadness into an act of worship. So, Bree, is there anything else that you want to bring up or discuss or any Bible verses that you have that you'd like to throw at us over this lesson? Um, If anything, I think if you can just meditate, and I know we've talked about it, but really meditate on that Jesus wept. Because if you're anything like me, that from this, you know, kind of lesson and really thinking about how two words in the Bible had such a powerful meaning 
and the meaning behind that, like you just said, you know, talking about it wasn't him. He wasn't weeping because he knew what was coming. And that, to me, just says how strong of a person. You know, I think some people, when when you would tell them Jesus wept, that might be their first thought if they didn't really know what was going on is, wow, well, yeah, he's getting ready to get crucified or, you know, something like that. But to then read on and realize, but wait, he's not weeping for personal selfish reasons. He's weeping because he's he's seeing these people who just don't get it or don't want to get it, you know, and that to me is kind of a humbling experience. So really just take a second, you know, after you watch, after you listen to this and really meditate on what does that make you feel? You know, when when you hear that Jesus wept for the sins of all on earth, how how does that really strike a chord with you? So that's awesome. Bree, thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Elevate today. We've had a great time having you, an awesome discussion. And man, what an awesome first week and an awesome first lesson that we've had in this series read about Radio Elevate and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Hey, thank you everybody for joining us. If you hadn't already, go down there, click that subscribe button, tell your friends about us. We're certainly glad to spread the word of God. We want to thank everybody for joining us this week. We're going to be right back here next week as we continue with just a couple more Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. My name's Cody Fair. We're with Elevate Youth in Cross Point Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.